that's going into the things we're going to talk about one day. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Style Guide podcast with your host, Dave Morrison, Stephen Ray Orr. And we do, in fact, have Stephen Ray Orr with us today. How are you today, Steve? Oh, hi, gang. Uh, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm uh, back from my mysterious trip. Yeah, we've missed you here on the Style Guide. Um, well, maybe not that much, actually. Yeah, yeah. We had some pretty good guests. Yeah, there, there was some pretty good podcasts while I was gone. I, I feared you had replaced me with a rotating series of people you know. Yeah, I almost did. I almost did. This is actually, you're just one of them now. You're just part of the rotation, and then I'm going to move on to the next person. So, Well, I like that it's still the style guide with Dave Morris and Stephen Rayor and guest. <laughs> yeah, even though you're not there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've built something here. It's true. Yeah, so let's let's keep doing what we've built. So, which is another episode of the Style Guide. So, uh, what are we talking about today, Dave? I uh, today we are talking about movies based on books. Movies based on books and television shows based on books, or just movies? Uh, yeah, sure. We'll venture into television shows based on books. Okay, cool. Uh, you just want to talk about Game of Thrones, probably. I have never watched or read either, actually. Oh, good. Me neither. Okay, so this is not a Game of Thrones podcast. <laughs> no spoilers about Game of Thrones. The uh, There might be some spoilers. There might be some spoilers. The North always wins. Some about Winter's Coming. Winter's Coming. Right, that's the thing. <laughs> I have played the board game. So uh, we are talking about movies <laughs> movies and or TV shows based on books, which is not quite a style unto itself or a genre at all, but it is a common uh, thing we watch. Yeah, it's a common tool for for storytelling. You take a story that people liked in the format of a novel and you transition it to film and television. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a technique. Yeah. It is a it is the 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 idea of adaptation. Yes, it is the idea of adaptation. Yeah, which is something that's been happening uh just that general idea throughout history forever is we've adapted stories from one place and changed them into another format or form or some it's through the passing of that story from one person to another it slowly changes that story exactly exactly and i mean it's really common with someone like say shakespeare who who gets transformed and transitioned into a bunch of different styles and formats throughout throughout history and he himself uh, took other stories that uh, pre-existed and sort of transformed them into Shakespearean plays of the time, you know? So it was uh, it's a thing that happened. It's most definitely a thing that happened. So, well, where do you want to start then today, Dave? Because there are, there are a lot of movies that are based on books, and, uh, and we could start just about anywhere. I kind of want to start with that with that, that general concept before we move into actual movies and actual books. Um, just that idea uh, and the phrase that we've often heard is is steal like an artist. Right. I don't, I don't know if that phrase is familiar to you. Austin Cleon? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, the fact that artists, what we do is steal from other artists. And there are good ways to do that and bad ways to do that. I just want to talk about that general concept and see, is stealing like an artist a bad thing when you just steal a story from someone else? Yeah, okay. I think I think that's probably a good place to start. So do you have something particular in mind that's kind of motivating this thought? Is there a particular story that you're thinking of? Nope. I just want to talk about this idea of, of boring because I think 
I think if you're a, a listener to this podcast, you probably have heard, at least heard someone say, if not said yourself, the phrase, ah, uh, oh, the book was better, or ah, oh, why did they make that into a movie? Uh, and this sort of uh, this idea of, of negativity towards films that are based on books and that the the concept of, like the the why don't they just make up a new story well and and that's one of the interesting questions for me like why don't they make up a new story as if as if to say there are you know this vast multitude of stories that don't get told because people are wasting their time with adaptations yes yeah that's 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 the idea well, and a lot of stories are very similar to each other. And, I mean, we've we've talked about a lot of different uh, directors, filmmakers, auteurs, who, uh, I mean, Shane Black tells very similar stories time and time again. That's what, that's what makes there, there to be kind of a Shane Black sort of storytelling style. Mm -hmm. As opposed to someone like Mamet, who tells different kinds of stories with the same kinds of characters and that sort of stuff. So, so I guess my my question is, when 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 someone when someone says something like the book was better or something like that, does that does that bother you? Does that is is that a cause for for you to be like, oh, what a what a, what a stupid thing to say? I don't know because I I, I will admit I am guilty of saying that at some point in my life, <laughs> and I will probably say it on this podcast a lot that ah, the book was better because uh, I you know when you have. Two of the same story, you can now compare them to each other. And I think in that case, the one you saw first is probably the one that's going to win hmm. uh, as a, from your perspective. So, like, an example would be The Princess Bride, uh. which is an absolutely beloved film, but it is also an absolutely beloved novel. And if you compare the two, they are both in their own right really great. But when you compare them, which one is better? Well, I think that depends a lot on which one you saw first and which one you you fell in love with first. So if you saw the movie, clearly the movie's your favorite, and then you read the book and you're like, oh, the book is really good, but I like the movie better, you know? So like, and I think in the case of movies being made out of books, the book already came first. <laughs> so the phrase, the book was better, is sort of like saying, I read the book, hmm. right? And that's And I think that's what's so annoying about that phrase. And it's not that it's not annoying because it's not true. It's annoying because you're you're brag explaining that you've read the book. I love your your use of hip cool teenage phrases now. I don't know if that actually is a hip cool teenage phrase. <laughs> I, I have decided that it is, and I am I am wholeheartedly invested in that it must be. Yeah, and like so so back to the steal like an artist thing, right? Um, one of the kind of concepts of, of stealing like an artist is there's like good ways to do it and bad ways to do it. And a good way to steal like an artist is to steal from lots of people. And a bad way is to steal from one person. And a good way is to steal from like multiple works by that person. Whereas a bad way is to steal from a specific work, right? So if I was writing my own play and I basically just wrote Romeo and Juliet, um, that's not the best way to steal like an artist. That's pretty cheap. I just stole Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet and changed the language. But if I am influenced by all of Shakespeare's work and steal from all of those pieces of work, then it becomes its own kind of story. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can see what you're saying. And and so, and I, and I guess, does that apply to movies being made out of books? Because we're not stealing, we are adapting. And we are giving credit to that piece of work. Yeah, well, and... 
I mean, at the same time, I'm, it's not, it's very rarely, actually, I should say it's not, not always, but very rarely is an adaptation, a pure adaptation of the book. I mean, it's, it's often involving, you know, cutting large portions of it, changing different elements of the story and characters to better fit within the, the confines of a film narrative instead of a, a novel. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's the, the motive behind, you know, when you, when you, when you say something along the lines of, oh, well, the book was better. It's not necessarily a complaint that they were stealing the ideas of the book, but that it isn't the book again. Does that make sense? Yes, because you like the book. And so when they make the movie that isn't the book perfectly, well, the book was better. Yeah. Because they lost things. It's like when you go see Lord of the Rings, uh, The Fellowship of the Ring, and Tom Bombadil's not in it. And you go, yeah, the book is way better. Yeah, even though Tom <laughs> Bombadil is a minor character in the story and and actually the exactly the sort of thing that makes sense to cut if you're trying to do a shorter version. Yes, totally. Yeah, and so I don't think that, I, I mean, I don't think it's a genuine frustration with uh, not telling original stories. I think it's a frustration with not telling the story that you want them to tell. Mm-hmm. Like Ender's Game is a great example. So, I mean, we have talked at length about how much we love the Ender's Game series. Yes. And I went and saw the movie. I did not. That was one that, that was where I, I'd, I'd like to talk about why I didn't as well, because that was where I drew a line, but continue. Well, and, and <laughs> I, I wish that I hadn't. I mean, the movie, I think, was objectively a bad movie for a variety of reasons. Sure. But the biggest problem that I had with it were the decisions they made that didn't mesh with the vision of the book that I had. And so... You know, they have these these vast CGI uh, fight bat, fighting scenes in space that look hyper realistic. And I'm I'm watching that the whole time going, oh, well, that's stupid. And if, if that had been the case, Ender would have known all along that it was uh, that it was real. And and it was just it was my own taking myself into the movie instead of letting them tell me a story. And so when I was saying, when I say the movie wasn't as good as the book, I was saying my experience with the movie wasn't as good as my experience with the book, which is something very different than saying that the movie wasn't as good as the book. Yeah, you weren't doing it in a uh, brag explanation. You weren't explaining why it was bad by bragging that you've read the book before. You just didn't like the movie compared to the book for real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it took me a while to figure out that it was that distinction because for a while I'm just like, oh no, it's just a bad, stupid movie. But mm-hmm. and, and I did some brag explaining about how much better the the book was. But figuring out what I didn't like about the movie uh, made me realize that it one of the things that I didn't like was how it didn't match my vision. Yes, and and yeah, see, this is why I did not go see Ender's Game. Uh, it's not that I'm like a. a Ender's Game snob, I guess. May actually not. Maybe I am an Ender's Game snob, but but I that book is very uh, it's very beloved to me as we've talked about. And so when the movie came out, I knew that they weren't going to do it right uh, because I don't think that book can be made in to to truly honor the wonder of it because so much of it is in the fact that they're like six year old children 
uh, doing this sort of thing and you forget that they're kids and then every once in a while you're reminded of it. Uh, and in a movie, when you're seeing them on screen as kids the whole time, you never quite forget that Ender, when he's talking to Bean in his like bunker, that they're actually like nine and eight years old. You forget that they are that right. until Bean curls up on the floor because uh, he's afraid of the dark. You know, like like uh, you 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 don't get that in a movie where you're constantly seeing it. So I knew it wasn't going to be the great parts of the book on screen. It was just going to be the story of the book. And I drew the line. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to go see it because what it's going to do is it's going to put pictures in my head that is going to influence when I read the book. And I don't I don't need that. There's nothing Ender's Game the movie is going to um, bring me joy from. So I just didn't go see it. Yeah. I mean, I I think that's a fair enough reason. And I think that kind of points to the idea that um, why why would they bother adapting that story instead of telling a new story in this case or telling a story inspired by it or or based in the same universe or something like that? When like like the like how the Matrix was uh, was influenced by uh, oh, what's it called the 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 not the Necronomicon the um oh uh, Neuromancer Neuromancer thank you uh, how the Matrix is adapted quote unquote from Neuromancer and it, and it took a lot of inspiration from it uh, I also think uh, think Johnny Mnemonic was also inspired by Neuromancer. Um, but allowing that book to inspire the film and then making your own story about that film or about that book would, uh, I think, would have been a better case at Ender's Game for sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think that this is, this is where the cynic in us comes out and says, oh, well, they're doing it just for the money, right? Because by attaching it to the Ender's Game property, they are automatically getting a bigger audience than they would if they were just making a sci-fi movie. Sure, that's true, yeah. And and this is the same sort of critique that was leveled at the Steve Jobs movie by Aaron Sorkin, mm-hmm. which was based on the book by Walter Isaacson, but it was very, like, even though the Walter Isaacson book was imperfect, the movie took it one step further and was even more an imperfect reflection of Steve Jobs and the book, and instead was more the story that Aaron Sorkin wanted to tell with a main character who happened to be named Steve Jobs, who worked for a company yeah. that happened to be called Apple. Yeah, yeah. He just used real-world facts to tell his story. Yeah, and a lot of people said, well, why not just tell your own story, since that's what you're doing anyway? Why why do you need to call it Steve Jobs? And the answer is, well, who would have gone and seen a movie about a fictional tech company, you know, with a megalomaniac... Uh, CEO. Yeah. Like Yeah, same was true of the social network, same thing. Yeah, although interestingly enough, the social network wasn't wasn't criticized in the same way as the Steve Jobs movie and I wonder I mean it, it, there was there was some criticism of it of of how it distorted some of the facts, but that wasn't the main narrative around it, right? Yeah, because it was also a good movie. Well, and um, and that might be it, right? The fact that it was a good movie but distorted what it was based on, um, let it get away with that. And I think the Social Network was in a different context where um, Zuckerberg's still alive, um, so Zuckerberg would do interviews and be like, they they had to frame it like it was this big love story, um, and sort of would like comment on it as it after it came out from his perspective and. It wasn't based on a biography of Mark Zuckerberg. 
you know, it, there was no book that it was based on, or was it based on a book? I think I think it was based on um, like what the book was called, "The Accidental Billionaires," the billionaire maybe. Oh, something. Okay, yeah, you're right. So maybe, yeah, but I think the fact that he's alive changed that context a lot. Uh, yeah, no, I think because you're absolutely no one's right. really that upset about making a story based on a living person's experiences because yeah and they yeah but so slightly different context there yeah no i i think i think you're right although it it does make me think of something like moneyball again now we're just traveling down aaron sorkin lane but moneyball is again based on a book based on real people's experiences Mm -hmm. except aaron sorkin took vast liberties with moneyball in order to tell the story that he told and you and i i think both love the movie moneyball it was a great movie. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic movie. And so I think one of the distinctions about whether an adaptation, it's okay to do an adaptation is, weirdly enough, whether it ends up being good. Well, I think uh, I think with something like the, the other difference between Moneyball, The Social Network, and Steve Jobs, or Jobs or whatever it was called, is that uh, you and I had not read the book Moneyball was based on or the book The Social Network was based on. And probably you had you didn't read the the biography on Steve Jobs. Yeah, I couldn't uh, Walter get through Isaacson's it. Walter Isaacson's book. Yeah, I started to read it, but I know the life of Steve Jobs pretty well. <laughs> yeah, and I've watched him give keynotes and stuff, and so like <laughs> nerd alert. So I know quite a lot about Steve Jobs' life. So that movie I can watch and be like, well, that's not that's wrong, you know. Whereas the Social Network and Mark Zuckerberg's life, it's like I I had no ability to do that and same with Moneyball so I think that gets back to that whole like if you've read the book the book is always going to be better well and I think that points to one of the trickier distinctions that we haven't directly addressed is basing something on real people versus basing something on fiction right adapting from fiction we have a different relationship to fictional stories than we do to like even if we had read the biography of of Steve Jobs, it it's something different for you and I because we have a different relationship to the character of Steve Jobs because of our experiences as Apple nerds. Sure. And so, in in some ways, that movie might never have been able to, or it it might have had even more barriers to success because of that. Yeah. As opposed to something like Fight Club. Right. Where it's not based in the real world. It's based on a story that we've read. And so we we just have that to to root our experiences of watching the movie. in. True. Yeah. Although I think there's also something to be said of like the fact that with real life, it's like we do have ways to tell real life stories like documentaries where we do actual documentation of that person's life. Um, And then when we do a fictionalized version of that person's life, like. Uh, yeah, I don't know how I feel about the fictionalization of people's actual lives. Because some of those movies I really do enjoy, and other movies I don't enjoy, and I don't think the fact that it's based on someone's life has anything to do with it. Hmm. Hmm. Like, if I were to think of Braveheart as a film, I enjoy the film very much. Right. It is a fun movie to watch. It's a great story. It's epic. It's everything you could want from an epic Scottish tale. But it's very loosely based <laughs> on real life and in fact more fictional than truth way more fictional than truth um and that had no no bearing on whether or not i enjoyed that film right 
Interesting. Yeah, it, it, it is one of those interesting distinctions. So movies based on books, um, knowing the source material has an effect on your enjoyment of the film. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, I... Yeah, and I think actually sometimes it, it backfires, like, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Based on the Odyssey. Right. So they say. <laughs> and when I first watched Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I had just read the Odyssey. Oh. And I was watching it, and I was like, this isn't based on the Odyssey. And I kept, like, I just got so, I was like, what? Why? What are they talking about? This isn't, what was the, this is, oh, the Cyclops, clever. You know, like, that's how I felt about the whole thing. <laughs> and did not enjoy it at all until I was like, okay, it's not based on the Odyssey. And, it, and then I watched it again just as a film, and now I love that film. Hmm. Uh, and so I think them trying to make it seem based on a movie was bad it was it worked out in the end worse for them because in the end if you just watch it like a film it's great but if you keep comparing it to the odyssey it's nothing like the odyssey it's a it's just it's an adventure story like that's it <laughs> like with some magical kind of elements to it yeah and 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 i can see where you're coming from because when you i mean in in a case like that it's so far removed from like maybe they were thinking of the odyssey while they wrote it but that doesn't that's not the same thing as being based on the Odyssey. Yeah, and I think with Oh Brother Where Art Thou is a great example of them stealing like an artist where they just took some concepts from the Odyssey, which are actually concepts from just all quest-type stories, you know, uh, and took stole concepts from like Southern American, like uh, the economic situation at the time and like stole all these ideas and then put them together into something totally different and brand new. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think that that's, at at its core what an original artist has to try and do again and again whenever they sit down because we're we're always inspired and influenced by the things that we read and and that we that we want to write like it's it's never the case that we can just sit down and go oh i'm going to sit down and write a completely original story that yeah, we only know the things that we've seen or experienced or or whatever so that's where we draw our inspiration from and so the more places you see and the more things you have experienced, the more inspiration you have from those places that you put together into a new work. Well, and that's Stephen King's whole whole argument about writing, right? It's you if you want to write something, you should spend your days reading everything that is related to and around the subject you want to write on. You know, mm -hmm. if you want to write a murder mystery, read every murder mystery. Yeah. As opposed to the idea of, oh, well, don't read any of them so you so you can write something truly original, right? It's, I mean, it, it's, it's an absurd idea to think that we could ever write anything truly original. Yeah, everything, every, yeah, everything's a remix, right, by uh, that, that video by What's-His-Name. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I think that's absolutely right. And so with, with adaptations, we get, we get different flavors of that of whether it's a 100% direct remix or whether it's an updated remix or or whether it takes some of the core ideas but puts it in a completely different context. And for this last one, I'm thinking something like, um, I would say, Sherlock. The, sure, the, the BBC Sherlock series? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is very clearly, in many, many ways, inspired by Sherlock Holmes. But it's not just inspired by Sherlock Holmes. 
Yeah, it is taking Sherlock Holmes and combining it with modern day London and the whole new CSI cop shows. Yeah. Yeah, well, and mm-hmm. and it, it has elements of a buddy cop, which weren't entirely there in the original stories, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. And, and so it it's able to kind of blend these different worlds and create something that is both an adaptation, but also a new a new work. Yeah, definitely. And it's uh and it's it does it smashingly. Uh because it does the thing that uh I think when you're adapting a book or into a movie or, or TV series, you need to honor the original material. And they definitely do that. With the BBC Sherlock, they definitely honor the actual Sherlock Holmes stories so that when you're watching the show, you see where the inspiration has come from and you go like, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's nice. That's just for us Sherlock Holmes nerds. You know, like you see that in the in the show. Uh, but then they also adapt it in, and do their own kind of thing with it. Yeah, that's that that's absolutely the case. And to take it one step back even further, the television series House I would call that a loose adaptation of Sherlock Holmes. In the same way, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou was an adaptation of The Odyssey. Yeah, and and so there are, it, it's never indebted to Sherlock Holmes and trying to tell those stories, but it also, if you are a Sherlock Holmes fan, there's there are little nuances that you catch throughout the series where you're like, oh, that's, that's just for me, the Sherlock Holmes fan. Mm-hmm. And so... I, I think you're right to point to the different ways that we can adapt things and, and to various degrees of success. I think Oh Brother, Where Art Thou is a, is a great example of a poor adaptation, but a wonderful story. Yeah, it's been inspired by it. And that's where it's like, you should have just said you were, you know, we read the Odyssey before we wrote this. <laughs> like, then, I, then people would not be constantly comparing the two. Right. Yeah. So this this uh, there's another point I want to I want to make before we get into actually discussing any uh, specific movies or stories or books. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it came from seeing Chuck Palahniuk speak and read uh, in Victoria when he was here okay. uh, a few years ago. Okay. Of course, talking about Fight Club, and someone asked a question about how did he like it being adapted into a movie. Blah blah blah. And. His answer was, you know, he was happy with the product, blah, blah, blah. But uh, the thing he said was that in the third act, they had to change it and make it more of a fight between Tyler Durden and Tyler Durden. And it's more of like a fist fight in the garage, which doesn't happen in the book. In the book, it's much more a conversation. Uh, And he said, but that is a side effect of turning a book into a movie, is that movies are about moving. And so you need to have the the like sort of break into act three and that whole uh transformation be something that is physical and moves as opposed to something that is internal which is what usually happens in a book uh and i was like that is great because <laughs> he said it and i was like it just something clicked and i was like that is why when movies get when books get adapted into movies they have to change things they can't just do the book yeah, no, that and and I think I mean you you've said it before, but I think that that's an absolutely perfect way of putting it. It is it is very in a book you can have a philosophical dialogue be the the height of the conflict of a story. 
And in fact, sometimes that is a better, uh, better final conflict than, you know, writing out a long epic battle because, you know, it's hard to do a good fight in a, when you're, when you're writing it, whereas it's easier to show it. And I think one of the, and, and I think once you've started, once you've like just accepted that, okay, we cannot have this scene be a long conversation at the end of the movie. So we're going to have to make it into a fight. And then from there, it is how good of a filmmaker you are. Because Fight Club does it excellently. Yeah. Um, between the two Durdens. And showing like the security cam footage where he's fighting himself. And then showing scenes where we actually see Tyler Durden and how he disappears and reappears. And it's this really exciting, active kind of moment uh, that is done very beautifully with the cinematography and, and embraces the theme of the story. Uh, as opposed to Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, where they replace the giant dialogue between uh, Voldemort and Harry Potter, where they just sort of stand and talk to each other in a circle of people for, for like, pages. Yeah. They replace it with a fight between Voldemort and Harry, where Voldemort, like, smacks Harry across the face with the back of his hand at some points, and it's like, it 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 goes against the whole theme of what Harry Potter is all about. <laughs> Um, and just ruins kind of the story and the feel of it all with this weird fight scene between this incredibly powerful wizard and this kid that just looks like a bully is beating up some small skinny little kid Uh, and they lose it there but the same concept had to happen they did have to change that talk into an action sequence and they just happened to do it poorly in Harry Potter where they did it wonderfully in Fight Club well and and the the reasons that it was poor in in the Harry Potter movie were, were many like it goes against Voldemort's entire character for to have him just physically strike Harry like as, as if the, like his whole, the whole idea of Tom Riddle is that magic always like that's it. it, And so it, it showed that they didn't even have a respect for the material that they were adapting in some ways yes. like they understood harry potter at times and you can see moments throughout the series where you know they they clearly get elements of it but they didn't have a deep abiding respect for the material that allowed them to make those decisions in a way that was true to both the movie story that they were telling but also to the original story that they were basing it on yeah exactly and that's where it's like so that to me When you're adapting a book into a movie, you do have to change the moving. And that is not what makes it bad. Like when I leave, if if I ever see Ender's Game and leave, I won't say it's bad because they had to change those kind of elements, (laughs) you know, because they have to change those elements. But uh, if they don't do it well in a respectful way to the theme of the story, not even the book, but the theme of the whole story, then they're just making a bad movie. See now I want you to see that movie because the changes they make you're going to you're going to be astounded at why they make those particular changes. <laughs> yeah, well like I mean like the I can imagine the the zero gravity fighting and the kids is really awesome and cool looking and it's like that's great that that is something that they should have done. But if they like like and like the moments in the game room where he's playing games against the kids like I'm, I'm imagining they would show those and make them really exciting and cool even though they were more boring than anything uh but but yeah i i am terrified to see what they change <laughs> so i'm just not gonna see it and that's that's totally fair 
Yeah. Um. So an unlike, and this was this was a book that, again, did the moving. They they really took the concept, the theme of the story, and and showed it on camera visually in a way that that to to basically because they couldn't show it the way they do in the book because we're not reading it. They had to show visually was perfume. I don't know if you saw it. No, you keep telling me to read this this and watch this movie, and I just haven't gotten around to yeah. it. So I'm going to spoil just a little bit of yeah, it. Yeah, spoil you. it. But the, the, the book is called Perfume, The Story of a Murderer. And it is the story of this, this, this grotesque, horrible person. And in the book, they constantly tell you how horrible he is. Like, it starts with, like, this is a story of someone who is worse than all of these terrible people from history. And lists off all these people. And it's a bad person. We're not supposed to like this person. But, of course, as the story goes on, you follow this person and you start rooting for them, even though it's the story of a murderer. Uh, and in the book, the, the whole concept is that he can smell. He has an amazing sense of smell. And so he can smell things like from around down the street, like all over. And he gets a job as like a leather curer because he can smell the different chemicals and make the perfect combinations. And then he gets a job as like a perfumer and he like makes perfumes for people and stuff like that. But all the while, he's trying to make the best smell ever. And and so that leads him to finding uh, this is going to sound crazy to people, but just go, bear with me. Finding virgins, women, and taking them and capturing their scent and uh, basically distilling it into uh, some perfumes of the different women that he catches and kills. Why would you say that sounds crazy, Dave? That doesn't sound (laughs) crazy at all. (laughs) And in it, it's like the way they describe him and his mind and his thought process is what makes that book so great and creepy and disturbing and, and all those things about the book. And how he goes and he like lives in a cave for like years in the middle of the book at one point. But like, bear with me. Um, and they make it they, they, the way they get into the scent and the descriptions of it, and it's the the descriptions of what the things smell like that kind of draws you in. Um, and in the movie, of course, they can't do that, right? So they have to show it visually, and the way they show it is wonderful. Like the way they they, they use the camera, like it might made me makes me think of Daredevil and the way they made him show that he heard things is they do that in this film and they make it look like he is smelling these things and you follow the camera and you see the thing that he's smelling and you see the woman that he's smelling and you see his face. And and yeah, so the way they show it is just so beautifully uh, cinematography-ly done uh, that it totally fulfills the same role, just in a completely different way. Okay. And it's great. It's just wonderful. I, I suggest, I recommend everyone read the book and then watch the movie. Yeah, no, it, I mean, it, it does sound like one of those one of those great little adaptations that takes the takes what it's working with in a new way and and embraces the new medium that it's that it's operating within. Yeah, it turns it into moving and it turns it into moving well. Well, and that makes me think in some ways of The Hobbit, which. <sighs> ah, yes, The Hobbit. <laughs> So, so I know that you aren't the biggest fan of the Lord of the Rings movies in general. Yeah, but the Fellowship of the Ring is still the best one. <laughs> but what I mean, one of the things that I I really enjoyed about the uh, the or Lord of the Rings trilogy is the way that it it took the idea of like so Tolkien loved writing songs, and I'm not gonna lie, every time I read those books, I I skip the songs. It's, Everybody does. It, Everyone does. You're not alone. Yeah, no, it's it's just it's stupid. But they're a part of the they're a part of the kind of experience that Tolkien was trying to get at. And in the the Lord of the Rings movies, what they did was 
they they have these beautiful soundscapes and they have these these beautiful songs throughout that are always in the background except for the few times where I think I was going to say Dumbledore where where Gandalf <laughs> is humming <laughs> along and and they're nice little subtle uses of music but it never like it never stops and says I'm going to remind you that this is there's songs in this right yeah whereas in the hobbit they've just des- they decide that it's super important like the songs are the most important part of that at times and they <laughs> like they really hammer home and have these long long song musical sequences throughout there through the misty mountains like that <laughs> exactly <laughs> and and it's almost as if they they said, oh well, the idea of the Hobbit is so connected to to music and songs. We're gonna we're going to make that an important part of the films, and it just doesn't translate. Like it, no, it really doesn't. I mean, it's not the worst part of that translation, but it's it's one of those things where you just you don't know why they did it, and I mean, there's a degree to which oh well, if we're gonna tell a fun kids story you know, then it's going to be a fun kid story with music. But they never decide that they're telling a, you know, Disney-esque story. It's, at times it's dark, at times it's a love, weird romance story, at times it's all different sorts of things. And so they're never actually embracing the new medium. They instead are just kind of jam different elements together so that they're telling the Hobbit movie instead of you know, a movie that, that has The Hobbit as its starting point. Yeah, and that's, uh, that is, that is one of the things that made that bad. <laughs> I, I can't even say that's what made it bad, because no. there's so many other things that made it bad. No, and there are so many reasons that those, those movies show no respect for its source material, and, yeah. and so it, it is a struggle to watch. But, yeah. If you want to point to uh, a film that has a, an intense respect for its uh, source material and yet still doesn't quite get it would be uh, The Watchmen. Yeah, The Watchmen. Actually, you know, I wanted to bring up uh, The Watchmen as well, okay. but not just The Watchmen. I wanted to bring up the whole concept of uh, graphic novels. Yeah. Because uh, what it does is is uh, it's very different adapting a comic book or graphic novel into a film than it is a normal novel because with the graphic novel you actually have visual uh, help you know like you have images that you have a storyboard already <laughs> before you make the movie so you have like all these visual things that you so you can't just take the narrative element you have to also take some of that visual element absolutely and I, there was a time when i wanted to do a frame by frame um take take the frames from the movie but but make the graphic novel oh nice and does the watchman do it perfectly do they it, do they adapt all those images they don't adapt it perfectly but astoundingly well like throughout mm-hmm. it in in a lot of ways you you see the scenes and they and they of course make changes in order to tell different kind a different kind of story but it is yeah, very I'm, well I'm, done yeah i'm familiar with the film watchman but i'm not that as familiar with the comic or the graphic novel i've seen it and i've read pieces of it but I, i'm not a graphic noveler graphic noveler yeah that's what we call it 
we in the biz yeah but yeah no we we on the style guy <laughs> but but it is a it is a fairly close adaptation and at times i think suffers because of that the the director mm. had too much love for the source material and so wasn't able i think to make the necessary cuts in order to make it a good film ah uh, yeah i see what you mean he loved the comic book too much yeah so it succeeds i think in largely in being an adaptation but fails as a film because it it doesn't take enough away yeah um that's cool because like to me uh, scott pilgrim versus the world yeah is the other side of that where they uh you can clearly see that edgar wright loved the source material uh but you can also tell maybe you can't but i could tell that the writer of the books, the writer of the comic books, worked with him on that film. Uh, and he did, because that film started getting made, I think, before the the whole uh, comic book series was finished. Right. Um, and they worked together to develop the ending of that story, because it ends very differently. I don't know if, if you've read the I have not. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World graphic novel. It's great. It's a great, like, six-book series, and it's uh, fun and amazing. But when you watch the movie... You see, you like see exact moments taken from the comic book. Yeah. Uh, and the comic book almost is written like it's a movie sometimes. <laughs> like, like when they're walking in the snow and like it's hard to see and the screen starts getting blotted out. Uh, that happens in the book. Or when she says, like, I forbid you to date Ramona Flowers and everything goes black in the movie and you just see her face and she's yelling. That happens in the comic book. Like everything goes black except for her face. Like, it is like a picture for picture, a lot of it. But then at the same time, when it gets near the end uh, and they have the big fight in the nightclub, that is that is almost uh, – that nightclub happens, but it's it's very different. And the fight doesn't happen there. The fight actually happens inside Ramona Flowers' purse. Spoiler alert. Because <laughs> um, she has a purse that lets her jump through time and space. Anyway, um, so a lot of the story elements were taken out to make it more of a one coherent movie. And that's where you could see that Edgar Wright was like, I love this story, but this we can't do this as a movie. Sorry. This part won't work. We have to do something else. And then they came up with uh, a different story. And same with the, the double dragon DJs that they fight in the movie. Do you know the movie well? I, I've seen it once, but I... Yeah. The twins that they fight in like a DJ battle. Right. Um, with the giant gorilla and stuff like that. Uh, that is awesome. <laughs> But in the books, those guys are also like these robotics masters and they send these little robots to try and get Scott Pilgrim. And again, they just took it up because that's not as cool. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, but it, so so graphic novels, I think, is very interesting, a uh, different, different kind of adaptation. And in fact, I think you can make it even, you can ruin it more than a book. Well, and that's what makes kind of this Marvel this this but actually both marvel yeah. and dc kind of resurgence so fascinating right yeah where they are adapting i mean it at times they're adapting decades worth of comics into a single film mm -hmm. and and the baggage that comes along with that i mean i can imagine i can imagine that those films all of those films both marvel and dc fans of of the franchises just being up in arms at the entire the entire concept of them at times because it it's it's not an adaptation of any one thing it's picking and pulling different ideas from different 
time periods and different writers of the characters and different characters themselves and just throwing them all into a film. Yeah. Very much in kind of this, you know, steal like an artist way, but it 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 almost becomes this this completely new thing on uh in film instead of a uh instead of saying you're at, you're adapting any particular comic. Yeah, definitely. Um yeah, because I, I was thinking about the Marvel stuff, which we've talked about so many times. Yeah. Um, but uh but yeah, like it is it is interesting. And I think part of it is that uh I wanna say with the Marvel universe, the slate has been like swept clean for them. Uh and when we go watch those movies, a uh, few people connect them to the little the, the actual comic books anymore. And they aren't necessarily looking for frames from the comic book. Uh, in the screen like we were with the Watchmen or like we are with Scott Pilgrim versus the world or um, whatever else is coming out um, in the sense or, or like Coraline, you know, uh, although Coraline was a book as well as a graphic novel. Yeah. Or or say The one. Walking Dead, the TV the show. The Walking the Dead, comic. yeah. Um, but like because uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been it's like 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 there was a hulk movie in like the 1980s you know like <laughs> there have been like there's been so many spider-man movies and spider-man cartoons and batman same with dc stuff and like batman has been redone in so many different ways now uh iron man i don't think was remade ever right i don't bel- i mean if so it was you know one of those b b grade films but yeah and and so like like there's been so many remakes of different comic books throughout time as cartoons or as uh, as whatever that the, there's so much source material now that we don't just connect it to the comic books anymore right it's been adapted it's been so adapted that it is whatever we want it to be now and so with the cinematic universe i think they've been able to just say like you know what this is this isn't this is an adaptation of everything that's ever been seen before from these characters <laughs> Well, in which case it's not really an adaptation it's just uh as long as they stay true to the cool look and powers of the superhero we're okay with that and even then like in the x-men like kitty pride can all of a sudden send people's consciousness back in time and everyone's like sure well and and what's fascinating about that is i think the difference between what marvel is allowed to get away with and what dc isn't because with marvel they they seem i think you're right at some point they were able to just start with a blank slate but for example like the last superman movie before batman versus superman it, people were up in arms because superman killed someone yeah and and if you if you watch the film it makes sense like the way that that happens like yeah. it, like it's it's not a perfect film certainly but you know you're watching it and you can see why he does it but the reason that there was a problem is because there wasn't a blank slate there because everyone had all this Superman baggage that they were bringing to the film prior. Mm-hmm. And so DC doesn't get to get away with the same the same stuff as Marvel, it seems. Well, what about Batman? Well, what about Batman? How, how, why did Batman get away with it, not Superman? Batman didn't kill people. Uh, yeah, but Batman has been changed oh, so oh, many times now right. that that he he's there's so many versions of batman out there and so many versions of how the joker became the joker and how two-face became two-face like there's so many versions of all of those storylines um that it's like uh batman can seem to get away with it 
Well, and I think maybe this goes back to, and I know you disagree, but people generally liked the Batman movies. They thought they were a good film. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the the changes that were made were okay because it was a good film. Whereas Man of Steel, people didn't like the film itself. And so the changes made to the character were almost a reason that the film was bad in the first place, as opposed to something else that was bad about it. Yeah, it's like if if uh, if the changes made the movie good, they'll accept them. Uh, so like when they cast uh, Mark Mark Ruffalo, yeah, as the Hulk, yeah, in the Avengers movie, uh, that was fine. Everyone was okay with that change because it made it better. Uh, instead of casting what's his face, uh, Edward Norton. Edward Norton. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's, I think that's a really astute point. If you change it for, and if you change it and it makes it worse, we will hate you forever. If you change it and it makes it better, we're fine with that. Yeah, and because you because you made it better. <laughs> well, and it's not even like if you change it and the change you made makes it worse, but if you change it and what you did was bad, then we're not gonna like we're not gonna like you, and we're gonna blame you and the changes you made for it being bad. Yeah, although actually, you know, because here's here's the thing, because like uh, I'm going to jump back to the original X-Men movie that came out um, where Sir Ian McCallum was Magneto and everyone was like, that's awesome. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Patrick Stewart was Xavier and everyone was like, that's the best choice you could have ever made. Um, but then they made Rogue a uh, like teenage girl who couldn't fly and didn't have her super strength and stuff like that. And that was dumb. That was a bad choice on their part. Uh, according, at least in my opinion, bad choice, bad choice on their part to change the timeline like that. And it just they have been dealing with the fact that the timeline is all messed up so much so that they've now had to go back in time and just reboot everything. Uh, because like, why did they make her why did they go with that version of Rogue? It doesn't make any sense. It was a bad choice. The movie itself still turned out to be OK, though. So I hate them for that choice. <laughs> But I don't hate that movie because of that choice. You know what I mean? So sometimes they can make bad choices and not ruin an entire film. Yeah, okay. I, I, I think that's fair. I mean... But so, like, I guess I guess if that choice of Rogue being the teenager ruined the movie uh, and made it so that now it's it, the movie sucked, then I would hate them for it. But because they made that choice and it was a bad, ruined the character of Rogue, uh, and I probably hated them a little bit for a while because of that, the rest of the movie worked. Right. Uh, and like it, it almost it gave justification for Logan to go fight Magneto in the train and stuff, and it was cool. I love how much you remember of that movie, whereas I'm just like, yeah, it was one of those early superhero movies. I have a good memory for things that I see and hear at the same time. <laughs> okay, so we are getting to our to, to running out of time pretty soon. And uh, anything else you wanted to talk about before we before I ask my last question? Uh, the only thing that I want to say is I'm super disappointed in the Chronicles of Narnia movies. Oh, yeah, man. And it's not because I think the, what they did with those movies is bad. Um, I, and you know, I should be happy that they're updating a story that I love for an audience that probably might not read the books. And, and so that, that opportunity to explore Narnia, which is, if I recall correctly, a book series that I read to my brother at a very young age, and oh, I think that's like adorable, yeah, that's adorable. And I think at the end of maybe Prince Caspian or the Voyage of the Dawn Treader or something, 
when two of the characters are being told they won't be allowed to come back into Narnia because they're too old, I, th I think I just wept openly as a child. So, no. <laughs> so, it, so it's a super meaningful series to me. And, <laughs> and the problem that I have with the films is that they said, we need to turn Narnia into Middle Earth. We need to make yeah. it akin to Lord of the Rings. And I'm like, it's never been anything resembling that. It's not epic. It's sort of fun. Yeah, it's it's very much small scale, very individual stories. And so I just to just to say how much that disappointed me. I will jump on that as well and say that it disappointed me not nearly as much as you. Uh, but it disappointed me in the same way the Golden Compass disappointed me. Ah, where they 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 took a swing and totally missed on that wonderful uh, book and didn't even make the trilogy. They gave up. They were like, "Nope, let's stop here." That was so bad. Uh, and I just heard they're actually going to go into a mini series for the Golden Compass, which hopefully will work out better. It's not a bad way to do it. And you know, Daniel Craig was he Bond at that point? I don't know. Yeah, we didn't even talk about James Bond, those books being made into movies. Oh, but yeah. I think everyone agrees that making it into a movie was better than the book. Whoa. I don't have a leg to stand on. I mean, I, I like the books. Well, I mean, like, the books are good. I'm sure the books are good. And everyone enjoys them. Uh, but I think everyone enjoys the movies better because you want to see a spy do really cool stuff. <laughs> did, did you end up seeing, um, what was the last one? Mm, I don't know. What's the most recent one called? Skyfall? No, the one after that. Mm, Quantum of Solace? No, the, the that was before it. Casino Royale? No, there's one more. Uh, uh, there's one more. How can we... It Tomorrow Never Dies? Okay, it came out a couple of months ago. On Her Majesty's Secret Service? Continue listening to Bond movies. Spectre. 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 You're talking about Spectre. Yeah. <laughs> Spectre. <laughs> I'm just going to keep going backwards. <laughs> Spectre is a good example of uh, a film that tries to adapt a prior film... And in fact, the whole history of the prior films and kind of fails because of it. I never saw it, actually, because I, I heard it was sort of adapting Austin Powers. <laughs> it, it wasn't. A, I mean, yes, I can see how you one might say that. But it <laughs> I mean, it it tried too much to be an adaptation instead of being its own original story like Skyfall was, for example. Mm -hmm. And so sure. ultimately, I think was weaker for that. But you had a question. Oh, my question I just wanted to end off the podcast with because yeah. we're kind of at our end here is um, is what's your favorite movie based on a book? My like what is the what is the movie that did it right and so right that you uh, even though you've read the book and then you watched the movie, the movie won you over. Is there such a is there such a book movie combo? Um, it's not the English patient. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> I actually really enjoyed the book. Uh, but the movie. like uh so i'm gonna take i'm gonna take uh, a swing at it first and while you think yeah although this is this is not actually answering the question because i did not read this book before i saw this movie and i don't think uh, there are many books that i read first where then i saw the movie and liked the movie better yeah but one such book is high fidelity i see that was what i was gonna go to high fidelity that movie book combo is fantastic i have that book on my shelf i can see it right now uh, and I still love watching that movie just as much as I do reading the book. Uh, and I think something that's neat about that is that they made a lot of a lot of changes, but not very many changes at the same time. <laughs> Where like 
the whole idea of like the top five from the book is adapted beautifully in the in the movie with like these to the camera monologues um, from John Cusack, uh, which is John Cusack's like specialty, uh, as far as I know, yeah. um, is turning to the camera and talking. But also the uh, the um, the fact that they moved it from England to America in the movie because uh, the book is all set in England yeah. and it still works just as well in the book. And I think the book works great. And then when the movie was made, I think making the movie in America was more fitting to uh, our cinematic culture, you know, where like movies come from Hollywood and America. So why wouldn't you set it there uh, and not just go into England, have a bunch of Americans go to England and make a movie, you know, like it made sense. It made sense to me. Yeah, no, it, I, I think that that's absolutely right. And I I think it also, it, it did a good job of bringing a new audience to... Uh, a great story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, same with same with Fight Club. And this is something else. I, I, I want to say Fight Club, but we've already kind of talked about it. Because Fight Club book and movie are both so great. Uh, but they're great in the same sense where in High Fidelity, they, they turned it to a to-the-camera talking. And in Fight Club, they do this like wonderful voiceover thing and monologue and you see him talking directly to the camera and the visuals that they show of like Tyler Durden like flashing into frame every once in a while and like the kind of meta element of it feels like the book it gives you that same feeling that the book has yeah yeah so I mean there there are a few that come to mind for me I mean something like The Shining Mm-hmm. It is I think a a great example of taking an idea of a book and then going off in your own direction of it. So I do, I don't think that it's a the adapt. I think they're both independently good. I think if they're connected to each other, they're both not as good. Like <laughs> okay, well because it like the movie isn't really based on the book and in fact does a disservice to the book. It it takes. In fact, it takes all of... like the, the Shining is entirely an internal story, really. It's an internal struggle. And for the movie, it's entirely an external struggle. Um, and so, I, I mean, I think that that's an example that, that does the, kind of the opposite of what I'd, what I'd like. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I had to say my favorite, my favorite adaptation, I would go... I'd say Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers. I would say Starship Troopers. And wow. So so for starters, I have a lot of respect for the movie and a lot of respect for the book. And and I know for some people that's an absurd thing to say. But so the book is is Heinlein at his kind of he, it it's a it's a very conservative book. It's it's written very much as this kind of personal uh, personal story of this young man as he basically goes through uh, military training and that's most of the story and it's it is it's not meant to be a critique of that it's it's kind of meant to really say like these are the things that are necessary if we want to have a free society and and it, it had a lot of political philosophy behind it but it also had a lot of his conservative values behind that and it's just this beautifully written book and very mm-hmm. very thoughtful and then the movie it doesn't it doesn't take the same tone as the book whatsoever i mean it yeah it it in fact 
goes the opposite direction and mocks some of the very principles that Heinlein would have been championing. But it doesn't do it in such a way that negates the emphasis of the book. It just says, this is a very different audience that we're telling this story to. It's, it's in a very different context and a very different medium. And so it, it in some ways makes fun of kind of the movies as a genre themselves too. And so I, I think that it, it does a wonderful service to the original source material while at the same time striking out new ground. Huh. That's a, that's great. That's interesting. That's, that's, that's something I would not have, would never have guessed you were going to say <laughs> Starship Troopers. I would, I would be willing to say that Starship Troopers, the movie and the book together are one of my top 10 pieces of media. Wow. Yeah. All right. That's well, how that's, much I like that. That's going into the things we're going to talk about one day. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not surprised in any way that you did not say or even mention Dune because I know how much you love that book. Yeah. Um, and we didn't even bring it up because I'm pretty sure you are not a fan of many or any of the adaptations. I kind of liked the uh, space miniseries for Children of Dune. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> but but you're right the 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 Dune movie and the the space miniseries for Dune both. Not only do they not understand what Dune is about, but they don't care. <laughs> yeah, well, it seems like, I mean, that's one of those books where I don't think it, I think they should do a necromancer to it. and Neuromancer? Neuromancer. <laughs> uh, neuromancer to it and just use it as inspiration for another story uh, because the story of Dune is way too intellectual in, in the minds of the people and and political and subtle yeah that turning that into a movie you lose all of that so you might as well just make a movie based on a desert planet where there's a spice trade and there's these giant worms and just call that it yeah and don't call it dune call it something like the spice and there you go there you go every hollywood you're welcome i just saved you from having to ruin dune again and again and again and again and again <laughs> I, I mean, I again, I think this goes back to your inability to name things. <laughs> what do you mean? That was a brilliant name for a thing. The Spice? Yeah, I'm really good at coming up with names and sequel concepts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, hey, man, it's nice to have you back on the podcast. Hey, it's a pleasure being back. And yeah, any any last closing thought on books and the movies? Or are we good to, good to go? No. Uh, uh, go, read, uh, go read and then watch uh, the Rita Hayworth story slash The Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> nice yeah my closing thought is is uh, movies based on books uh does not necessarily make the movie good or bad uh it's in it's all in in how good or bad the movie itself is and how much they honor that material and the the, the feel of that material i think that's absolutely right all right so uh, next time we'll talk more about the running man oh man we didn't even talk about the running man I know it's because the movie is just way too good. The book sucks after you watch it. You shut your <laughs> mouth. You shut your mouth. <laughs>